little setback, didn't she? But you know, many of us had either physical ailments, mental ailments, or spiritual ailments that set us back. Susan Higgins has had a decades-long setback that she keeps making beautiful, brave comebacks from. And she is going to come today and share her story. So Susan, I invite you to
And you start learning how to hide your feelings and to pretend to be happy all the time. And just like you've got, you know, Mr. Rogers in your neighborhood, right there in your dining room, and we really didn't. But not everyone knew what we were going through at the time. My dad in the, let's see, I was in the seventh grade, and he went to Nashville to a place and he got sober. And he started very heavily into AA. My mother got into Al-Anon, which are fabulous program. And I went later in high school, I went to an adult children and alcoholics class. It's a wonderful support group. And basically in that class, it tells you, it's a support group, it tells you the roles that you take on as a child of an alcoholic. And the role that I took on was an overachiever. I thought if I did everything bigger, better, and more of it, everybody would be happy. There would be no reason to have all of this. We could finally do this. Well, that doesn't work. Don't try that solution. Because you can't make everybody else happy. You don't know what they're dealing with. And my dad, his, his parents and his siblings had all been alcoholics. He had lived this. My mother lived this, but she learned to start living this. When you're doing well, you're thinking, uh-oh, it's about to happen. And that's what, that's what I learned. And you know, there's so much about my childhood. At the time, I was always wanting to change. But it taught me that I, need, I was an overachiever, and I needed that for the rest of my life. And I also needed to know how to handle this. I'm great in an emergency. I usually don't get all excited. Oh, we're going to emergency room. And you just move on. Or you need the helmet. Whatever you need. <laughs> Before I can sign off on your papers, I'm thinking, 
that's really a waste of time. I'm working, I'm a senior, I've got a lot going on, but okay. So I just went one day after school. And I went in and we had some tests run, and I'm like, okay. And he said, well, we have a tumor on your spinal cord, and we think it's going to have to come off. And I said, okay. I said, can we do it this summer? I said, because I'm going off to college in September. So can we go ahead and, and get that scheduled? And he said, well, sure. So we did some more testing and come to find out that I did have a tumor on my spinal cord, but it wasn't like a normal tumor, like a cancerous or a benign tumor. Basically, what he told me I had was not cancer, but it was syringomyelia. And it's a very rare spinal cord disease. And basically, inside my spinal cord is an open cavity. So my spinal fluid, instead of flowing through, it was building up on the nerves. And it started deadening the nerves as the spinal fluid touched it. So he told my parents, we had surgery, which we thought was going to be, or I guess I say I thought, we were just going to take it off, heal a little bit, and then I would be on sorority road in September. <laughs> well, that didn't quite work out either. So I had a circumstance on my hands. <clears throat> so my, we had the surgery, it was 12 hours long, and found out that it, what, what we had was the open cavity. And I woke up a few days later in ICU, and I couldn't move anything. And it was a very scary feeling. Uh, and it was not in my plans at all. And I know Susan can attest to this. You look around and I see you, uh, Nero, I see you, and you see gunshot wounds, you see a lot of equipment on people, but there's not a fellowship in there. Uh, people are not ready to talk. Uh, it's, it's not like, hey, what you doing over there? Uh, <laughs> nobody's able to do anything. So I met a lady, a vet over, and she, her name was Gail, and she dove into a shallow end of a swimming pool. And she was paralyzed from the shoulders down. But we could both talk. God never took that away from me. <laughs> so we were in there, and this resident would come in, and we looked for him. He started, you know, this resident start in July for their new rotation. And so the resident came in, and we looked for him every day. He was so funny. He was nice. And did I say he was good looking? He was very good. I was 18. So he would come in, and later, this guy was so sweet. I had to relearn to start physical therapy and start relearning how to do things. And when I say PT, I mean I was on a flat table, and we started just doing angles. Just a few minutes a day, back down until I could finally get vertical. Once we got vertical, we started learning uh, all the coordination and learning, trying to learn to walk. And I love to have small goals and long-term goals. Well, my small goal was that I was a homecoming queen the year before, and I was supposed to walk across that football field to crown the next one. Well, now you know nobody's taking that spotlight from me. <laughs> so that was my, my goal. And I started learning to walk just so that somebody could hold me so I could make it across that football field. So that good looking resident, I said, hey, I said, would you like to escort a high school, oh, he's in medical school, would you like to escort a high school girl uh, on homecoming? He said, I'd love to. He was so sweet. 
Did I say good looking? <laughs> and so we got it was in October. So I went in in June. I actually came out of the hospital in November, but I got out in that October weekend for the homecoming. Well, as never happens to Ringo homecoming and most high school football things, a great big storm came. Yeah. A great big storm came and they had to postpone homecoming until the next day. Well, when you're a new resident, you don't get both days on the weekend off. So he couldn't escort me, but my dad did, and we made it across the field, and it was a wonderful moment. I went back in the hospital because that was a long deal for me. But I want you to know that that wonderful resident is Cleve Waters, Brenda Waters' husband. And it was so amazing to see her back here in WOW and to get reconnected. And he did remember me. I mean, he wouldn't, but he did remember me. And I thought he was kidding, but he really did. Well, you know, my longer term goal was to go to college. And I want you to know, I got out of the hospital, like I say, June to November. And while I was in there, I would have these cards and they decorated my wall. Believe me, I was there longer than some of the nurses, I think. But we took, we all, you know, the best time was when that lady would come in and she'd say, here's your mail today. Oh, it was the best part of my day. I'd get those cards and I'd read them over and over and then we'd put them on the wall. So that's when I started with a huge love of cards and sending cards to people. Because it meant so much to me that people hadn't forgotten me. Well, I mean, they could, they could. So I went to college, I started in, the, uh, in January. It was bumpy. It was an overachiever's goal to start that early, but we, we got through it. I got through all four years, graduated with honors, so excited. We had a lot of luck along the way, but we got there. It was my, one of my proudest moments. And then we went, from there, I went to starting my career and I tell you, nobody loved working more than me. I loved it. I thrived on it. I mean, I loved the people I worked with. I loved what I did. It just kept getting bigger. And my friends would say, Susan, nobody likes working as much as you do. I said, I know. I, I just thrived on it. I mean, I couldn't wait to do whatever the next challenge was. I met my husband, Stacy, and we dated five short years. And then we got married. And we waited another five years. Things were going great. And we wanted to have a child. So we went to my neurosurgeon. I said, hey, I said, we're thinking about having a baby. What do you think? He said, well, they used to say, you know, don't have children, but you're doing great. Yeah, that's fine. So we got pregnant. And y'all know who I had, my wonderful Katie that I love so much. So we had Katie. And I was 32 at the time. And after having Katie, I didn't feel great. I mean, I'd never had a child before, but I didn't feel that great. And my wonderful Joyce Payne, who took care of me, Joyce uh, Payne, uh, he said, well, Susan, let's do a little exploratory surgery. Let's see if we can find anything. He said, I hate to tell you, but there's nothing in my area where I can help you. He said, but I need to send you back to your neurologist. So we went back. After I'd had all of this great time from graduating college all the way up to having Katie, now it's back. So 
said, yeah, he said, I think we better have another spinal cord surgery. I wasn't looking forward to it because I had a child at that point. Actually, she was nine months old. So we had the surgery. He cleaned out some things. We had gone to Birmingham for another opinion, and they had said, you know, there's this sheathing that you can put in the spinal cord around that tube that will help the scar tissue not show up. She said, let's put that in. So we did that, and I was a little nervous. I don't worry, I'm not a worried person, but I was a little nervous because I knew that the first time was very hard. Well, the second time, after Siskin and all, I didn't do as well. And I had to say goodbye to my career, and that was hard. I think I bought clothes to go back to work probably until yesterday, but I, I, oh, that was always my big goal, was that I wanted to return to work. So it didn't go as well, so I got fitted for a wheelchair, and we bought the big van, you know, with the big lift that had the automatic door. We thought it was pretty cool. And Katie started growing up, and she would just hop on the back with me and my chair, and we just went everywhere. We went to the mall, we went to the doctor, we did everything. Didn't quite, it, things weren't going great, but they were trying to get steady. We were trying to go uphill. Well, Stacy got a promotion and we moved to Atlanta. And I knew in my heart, you better support your husband, but this is not going to be good. Do you remember those, you know, those thoughts that you get sometimes? Well, I had that thought. And then he says, you know what, though? Atlanta's going to be great. We've got access to so much help here. for whatever reason, 
then you go into withdrawal. So I was, whew, I was just like this. One day I was taking Katie to the bus stop, my sweet little Katie, and it gave me too much medicine. I hit four mailboxes. And Katie gets out and says, somebody help my mommy. It was my, my worst memory because I wanted things to be great for Katie. I wanted so much for her. We kept on with the trial and it got better and better. And I can say to this day, I would be in a bed passed out without it. It saved my life. So in Atlanta, the uh, one thing that's always been constant in my life is I've always been in church. And we had a wonderful church and I had a Stephen minister. And for the Methodists, it's kind of like a deacon, but they're trained to come and help families. And they can be wonderful. And this was a female, and she was great. She would go to appointments with me. She would come and just sit with me. And she said, Susan, we're going to have a healing service for you tonight. And I said, okay. I wasn't real sure what that was, but I thought, okay, it's a Methodist church. It can't be too weird. So, <laughs> so we go. And that morning, we had it that evening. And that morning, the sermon was about the lady with the bleeding disorder. And I listened, and it said that she went to all of these doctors, and they couldn't help her. She stepped out of her box and made a choice to go to all of these doctors, and nobody could help her. She had it for 12 years. Then she had a great faith, and she knew that Jesus was coming to town. But if you remember, the lady had a bleeding disorder. At that time, if you had a situation like that, you had to be isolated. You had to be away from crowds, away from people. So now she was going to have to step out of her box, and she was going to have to go in to a huge crowd where she didn't belong, and she wanted to just touch him. She was so close to him emotionally, she thought she just needed to touch him. And when he said, who touched me? She was afraid to say anything. She wasn't supposed to be there. And finally she says, it's me. And he says, you are healed. And I thought, you know, she got out of her comfort zone and she took action and she didn't give up. And it just gave me new hope. And it's amazing that that's the sermon that meant so much to me and Kathy had planned for that devotion today. So that evening we have a, a, a healing service it, I could just tell you that I felt the Holy Spirit in there. It was something else. We decided in a couple of years that we needed to move back to Chattanooga where family was because Katie was being picked up by different people at the bus stop. Uh, at night when I'd go to the ER, she would have to go to a neighbor's house. And I thought, you know, I want her, I want family to pick her up. I want her to know and have something that she can always count on. So we moved back to Chattanooga, and this is probably total about five years from the healing service. My pain doctor in Chattanooga calls me, and he says, Susan, he says, you know, I tell you, I take your file everywhere for somebody to see if they'll help you. I'm thinking, yeah, I've tried yet, I've been counting on that. And he said, I found somebody. So he said, they're at Vanderbilt. So we go up there. We go in and he examines me and looks at all my films and he said, I can tell you this, 
He said, I think I can help you. I can't tell you what I can do, but I can think I can help you. Well, at this point, Hetty was in elementary school, and I thought, this is a third spinal cord, major spinal cord surgery. The first one, I finally got out of it. The second one, I'm still here in the chair. This is the third one, and I'm not quite sure this is what I wanted to do. But I knew I didn't want to stay where I was. I was stuck, and I didn't want to be there. So we said yes. We had the surgery, and he comes out and he tells me, he said, somebody, somebody put some plastic in there. And he said, it was still in there. He said, you never would have gotten well. I thought, yeah, that doctor in Birmingham, Alabama told us about that. It was a sheathing that was new that was supposed to help, but that's what, that's what was giving me so much pain in all those years. So we were so excited. About a year later, I learned things again, third time. About a year later, we sold that thing. <laughs> we donated that wheelchair. I thought, this is over and I am on my way. And watch out, Carol Davis, I'm coming back to Providence. <laughs> Just wait. Well, about a year later, <clears throat> things didn't start going so well. Started having some really bad headaches, which Cindy can attest to. But my headaches and my problem is really my spinal fluid and the flow of my spinal fluid is really the problem. And he did some tests and he said, the pressure of your spinal fluid is not right. He said, we need to put a shunt in, a brain shunt, and make sure that it's flowing properly. I'm for it. So he puts it in, we go to another doctor, he puts in the shunt, it drains here in your stomach, we're ready. He said, now it takes 14 days for that to find its new, the spinal fluid to find its new path. I'm counting. Day 15, oh, I still got the headache. 16, 17, so we called him. I said, things still weren't right, Dr. Conrad. And he knew me well enough to know that when I said things weren't right, they really weren't right. So he said, well, have you ever been evaluated for a Chiari? I said, no, what's that? He said, well, it's around your cerebellum. They're on each side, you have these tonsils. And yours are too long, and he said it's squeezing the space, and your spinal fluid can't flow properly. Darn spinal fluid. I said, okay. I said, well, how do we fix it? And he said, well, it's going to take a little bit. And I said, okay. So we have another surgery. As you notice, I'm having a surgery or two surgeries every year. Right when I thought everything was about to be, I'd sold that van and gotten rid of that wheelchair, I thought things were about to be better. So we had the surgery and basically they shave off the tonsils here that come down from your cerebellum. He did a lot more work. That's a very simplified process. But basically he tells me my head and my spine really aren't made for each other. And we're gonna re redo it to make sure that they fit together. And this is what they keep doing each time, redoing it. So, oh my goodness, girls, 14 days later, I didn't have a headache. It was amazing. And it lasted probably about a year. 
And then I had what's known as cape paint, C-A-P-E. And it's like where you would put a cape. And I mean, I was hurting all the way across. I called that doctor, you know. And I was Susan. I had to speak dial back to his nurse. So always make friends with the nurse and get that direct number. <laughs> so I called back there and I said, hey, I said, uh, I got some problems. And he said, all right. And he, I said, I've had a lot of pain. He said, let's do some tests to figure it out. Well, now at this point, after they fixed one problem, which was shaving off the uh, tonsils of the cerebellum, um, it made my head weak. It made my neck very weak. And what had happened is my skull started falling. So he says, what we're going to have to do is lift that skull up and then put some rods in, fuse the top of your back so that your skull will stay up. Sounded simple. But then he says, now I've never done this before. <laughs> of the neurosurgery department. As he says, I'm going to have to uh, go to my partners and call some people and figure out how we can do it. He said, I don't want to go in the front, which right now is the only way I have enough space to do it. He said, so that you have to move your vocal cords and do a lot of things. We're not messing with that. <laughs> so he goes in, he finally gets a plan. And before I go, up for that big surgery, we had a healing service, my second one, and I had it with these two babies. And we had it in Mark's office, and it meant the world to me. I, I, I have coach chills thinking about it. And so we went up there, and I don't think I knew everything, I'm a saint one, I don't think I knew everything that was going to happen, Stacy did, my rock. And so, he said, I tell you what we're going to have to do. He had to, he put me on the table and he gave me a lot of medicine. And I, I'm out at this point anyway. And he pulls up on my skull to try and make space so that he can work back here. So he has to pull it up and then put me in the MRI to see how much space he got. And then take me back out and do it again. And I was the Christmas miracle on that floor. It was January the 4th, I mean, December the 14th. Uh, because these ladies were having their Christmas party, and it's the only Christmas party I've ever missed. <laughs> and they were at Council Fire. And I was the Christmas miracle. He was able, he'd never done this before, to pull my skull and to get space so he could go in the back. It was... We were telling everybody on that floor, they come in, I hear you're the Christmas miracle. I said, I am. So a few days, that was the first surgery. So the second one, a few weeks later, was he had to go in and fuse the top part of the neck and then get these rods in. No, I did not know my neck would not move. <laughs> so he put these in. And I want you to know, girls, it took care of that pain. Oh, it took care of that pain. The, the deal is when your spinal cord is messed up, you get side effects throughout your body and you're taking a lot of medicine. 
So it affects your kidneys, it affects your colon, it affects your digestive system. These nerves are all going, I got things burning, I got things tingling, and it, it's, it's always ongoing of some kind. This pain pump helps me tremendously. And I don't know where I'd be without it, because now I don't have to take the medicine by mouth and be so tired. During this process, I'm a type A, which it's very hard to learn to stay down and get around in a chair and do different things when you're a type A. My husband's a type C, D, E, F. And so he had to learn to be an A. He had to take over the things that I was doing and I had to learn to rest. And I felt so guilty just like not doing it. Sometimes the biggest deal would be getting, you know, my hair, getting a shower that day. And so when I could do more, I wanted to do more. And then I'd be so tired when they would get in. And they said, just rest. And then when we come in, you'll be feeling better. But I had that inside me. And you know, when you're sitting there, your mind's still working, so you're thinking of all of these things. And it was a tough recovery. You know, I, I wore a halo as a slash surgery for three months. And I have the video where he was sawing it off, and it was wonderful. One of my favorite moments, the Wild sisters were so wonderful to me, so wonderful to me. And I would tell you again, I would go through all of this again to be where I am today. Because this is the purpose God had for me. And I love it. I love it. I finally get to use my skills of what I'm good at, which is talking. And I get to be with people, which I love. And this is exactly what I wanted to do. It keeps me connected. I still have many days that Wednesday is the only day that I get out. And I have many days that I'm just at home in the bed or on the sofa because I can't get out or I can't get going that day. And that's when all of you get those texts. And a couple days later, you get those cards, because that's what I do when I'm sitting there. It keeps me connected. You know, <clears throat> the last two years in, I haven't had surgery for neuro. Had some other things that had to be fixed, because I'm 60, you know. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I knew that the last two years were tough for me because we started changing my medicine in my pump. I needed some stronger medicine. We started with Dilaudid. No, we started with morphine. We went to Dilaudid. Then we went to fentanyl. And now we're at Sufentanyl. I have no idea what that is at. But that's where we are right now. And I'm lucky that I'm able to use this pump. I'm so blessed. It helps me so much. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm mostly thankful for the support and the love that I have with these women. When I was at home with a halo, I needed some aid people. I needed sitters. I needed all kinds of stuff. And the ladies were there. I'll never forget my favorite, favorite moment. I'm in the bed in this huge halo. It's not that angel halo. It's a huge halo. And Debbie Bird, and Jamie Lewis, Linda Miller, and Judy Clark came and brought dinner. And they came there they said, hey, and I'm kind of looking up at them. And sweet Linda Miller, we all love her. She comes up and she says, 
Susan, your skin's so pretty. Do you have makeup on? <laughs> Thank you, girls. I love you. 